Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on News Radio 1120. KMOX. Welcome into our conversation about local innovation and just new ways of approaching things. Michael Calhoun with... The Dancing Carol Daniel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for filling in for Travis while he's out of the country yet again. Again, Travis is out of the country. He's got to have a passport book that has stamps from every continent at this point. Actually, he told me they don't stamp them anymore. Oh, really? Like that, no. Well, there so goes you, yeah, there the goes. scrapbook. Exactly, mm. exactly. Well, but I heard that the guest hosts get gift cards to Starbucks or Breadco or something like that. Oh, you're thinking of the star <laughs> of the Cardinals game with Mike Claiborne. I'm sorry, Carol. I might have a five in my wallet. I don't know. <laughs> I love talking to you. So this I is love good. talking about, uh, yeah, this is fantastic. And we've got some fun stuff to get into we today. Do. We do. And first off, why don't we jump right into the USDA headquarters, you know, the big public processes to get Amazon, to get the NGA, the spy mm-hmm. agency here. We won one of those. Didn't make the list for the other one. At now all. the next big like public competition for a headquarters is this USDA Institute. So it is, people don't think of USDA and think of, you know, economic driver or think of jobs or even headquarters really. Mm-hmm. But it's a major, major government agency. If you're eating the USDA is, yeah. is addressing. I think everybody's eating. Yeah. Everybody's eating. Everybody's eating. So this is a major. My, my brother actually works for the USDA in Washington D.C. Oh. And so it is a major agency. And and to be able to possibly get them to come here, and you've got a little insight as to where we were 20 years ago in this process. Well, but, the the institute that's moving, the Institute for Food and Agriculture, which is kind of like we'll hear from Don Rubin in a moment, is kind of like the National Institutes of Health, but for ag research. And St. Louis came up with the idea 20 years ago. Senator Kip Bond and Dr. Danforth pushed it through Congress and created this institute, but they had to give up a part of it, the St. Louis part of it, to get it created because of political realities. It's been based in Washington, D.C., and they're moving it to the heartland, the government says, because they want to be closer to farmers Mm -hmm. to relate to them more, to fund the research that helps them better, and also because they have a problem with turnover in Washington, D.C., and it's really expensive there. It is very expensive there. And what was I doing when you started talking about the Institute, Dr. Danforth, Senator Bond? What was my head doing? You were like shaking it back and back forth and at the revelation forth. that yes. we came up with this 20 years ago. Now we're competing to bring it home. And, and I understand that there there is this give and take. People think they want to live on the East Coast. You know, there's more happening on the East Coast or the West Coast. Uh, but then you get out there and you can't afford to buy a house. You can't afford to live. Um, it's expensive if you're, if you're doing private school. Uh, and, and you think of the Midwest and people think it's boring. But this is a good place to be. I mean, we always say, great place to raise a family. But the house <laughs> that I live in now, 
I can't even imagine what it would cost if I lived in Washington, D.C. Oh, I think a house that's about the size of this studio in exactly. a city like Seattle or D.C. would mm-hmm. cost, you know, half a million dollars. Wouldn't be able and to And you'd have to it. put 200000 into it just to make it livable. And so, we have yeah. things like Nothing Impossible and people who are focused on innovation in this market. There's that, such a community. There is a community. There's a lot going on that I wish more people really knew about, which is what Michael Calhoun is trying to do. <laughs> well, let's talk to uh, the guy who, his papers, he pulled them out. He's shuffling through them. They're dated December 2001. Amazing. Carol. Amazing. Don Rubin, who's now in charge of BioSTL. He was assisting Dr. Danforth back then on this plan for the Institute. And here is Don Rubin. The idea for this National Institute of Food and Agriculture came from Bill Danforth. It was his idea from the very beginning to improve the way the federal government funded plant science and agricultural research. It was done very badly when you compared it to biomedical research. As as Dr. Danforth knew, the biomedical research model under the National Institutes of Health, or the NIH, is is the gold standard worldwide for funding biomedical research. And it has grown at the federal level to over $30 billion in funding the best research in the world to cure disease and to, and to uh, 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 treat medical conditions. In contrast, agricultural research has been flat and at a tiny fraction of those levels uh, and has never increased because it has been given out in block grants, not given out competitively to the very best science and and it has never really encouraged the best scientists and the best research. And his idea was that if we could build and if the U.S. could put in place an institute like the NIH that funded the very best competitive research in plant science and in agriculture, then that pot would grow and it would be given out to the very best research in the United States. And that has a couple of benefits. one benefit being a national benefit and another being a St. Louis benefit. The national benefit is that that money going to the best research is going to help us solve really important problems and really important challenges when it comes to the food supply, the public's confidence in the food supply, health and nutrition, competitiveness of U.S. farmers, and a whole range of issues that we really care about in, in America. Uh, from St. Louis's perspective, we knew that St. Louis has a competitive advantage. We have more plant science than anywhere else in the country. And if there's a institution that's giving out dollars to the very best research that's peer-reviewed, then St. Louis is naturally going to attract a disproportionate amount of that back to our community. And at that same time, Dr. Danforth had just created the the Danforth Plant Science Center, which has become the world's largest independent plant science research center under one roof. And uh, having a growing pie at the federal level funding plant science research would inevitably benefit the growth of the Danforth Center and all the research institutes in St. Louis that focus on plant science. So some of those papers from 2001-2002 that Don pulled out said, why locate the institute in St. Louis with all of these bullet points about why St. Louis is the plant science nexus and the perfect place for this? But those two pages got cut, and the institute obviously went to Washington, D.C. So the question to Don, what happened? All the way back in 2001, at the very beginning of BioSTL, one of our first priorities, along with venture capital and facilities and startups, was creating this federal laboratory for plant science. 
And our goal from the beginning was to have it established in St. Louis. That would have been a grand slam for us. Um, unfortunately, political realities um, emerged, and it was very clear that in order to establish the institution at all, I was going to require uh, kind of putting the St. Louis location uh, aside and allowing it to be in the Washington, D.C. area, the capital area, uh, and avoiding a competition between California and Texas and Missouri and other places and a, 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 a food fight that would probably kill the entire concept. So, so that part of the dream had to be shelved. Um, but Dr. Danforth took forward this idea, uh, and with the help of Senator Kit Bond at the time, who was the U.S. Senator from Missouri, championed this idea and was able to get language in the Farm Bill of 2002 uh, that had the Secretary of Agriculture appoint a committee to evaluate the idea of a National Institute for Food and Agriculture. And in that, la in that language, it identified the kind of person that should chair that committee, and that language pointed only one person, and that was Dr. Danforth. And uh, in the end, uh, the uh, Secretary of Agriculture appointed Dr. Danforth to lead this committee, um, and Peter Raven, the uh, leader of the Missouri Botanical Garden at the time, was a part of our local committee, and he was very visible in the national scene of plant science research. He was very instrumental also in helping Dr. Danforth and Senator Bond to put together a great committee. And Dr. Danforth led this committee for, um, I think it was about a year and a half of work. Uh, the, the final report was turned into Congress in 2004, um, and uh, it was not until the 2008 Farm Bill that the Institute was created. So the National Institute of Food and Agriculture was, found, was created in the 2008 Farm Bill by Congress, um, and that is the Institute that today we are talking about trying to attract to St. Louis that would be a fulfillment of the rest of the dream uh, of having that institute be located in our own town. So St. Louis did not get the institute in 2001-2002, but in the two decades since then, uh, the St. Louis community has really geared up to continue to work on the goals that the institute was created to further. Things like making American agriculture more productive, more environmentally sustainable, more economically viable. St. Louis continuing in other ways beyond the institute uh, in research and startups and big companies. St. Louis continuing to work on those goals. Well, St. Louis has has really established itself as a unique center of plant science research and commercialization and policy and corporate work. Uh, with, when you think about the Monsanto Bear uh, Research Enterprise, and we're the home of national groups like the National Corn Growers and the American Soybean Association, and the Danforth Plant Science Center, which is, again, the world's largest plant science research institute, uh, which has tremendous facilities like greenhouses and growth chambers that they make available to entrepreneurs and startups to help create companies. So we've been able to become a hotbed of startups in the plant science arena. We've become a magnet for global companies to put their U.S. presence, if they're in the plant science arena, to put that in St. Louis. St. Louis has really become, really emerged in a class by itself within the United States as the greatest concentration of plant science talent and research and science and commercialization. And we hope to be able to make that case and parley that, uh, those strengths, uh, so that if indeed the Department of Agriculture 
moves the National Institute of Food and Agriculture outside of the Washington area to somewhere else in, through the, in the United States, we believe that St. Louis has as good a shot as any place, and we believe the best shot because of those plant science strengths. Is St. Louis's shot better now than it was in 2001, 2002? A lot of these companies and organizations are still here. Monsanto, Purina, Bungie are still anchors. It seems like there are others, too. Other organizations, BioSTL has grown up, and companies like KWS moving in to become anchors, too. So is St. Louis better prepared now than it was in 2001? The story is so much stronger now even than it was then. Um, The corporate strengths remain. The basic science remains and has grown with the growth of the Danforth Plant Science Center, especially uh, the startup community has grown. We now have plant science talent from Israel and India and Argentina and really all over the world that is coming to St. Louis and creating a mixture and an ecosystem of plant science activity that um, uh, we maybe even couldn't have imagined when we started this 17 years ago. So we're proud of uh, we're proud, and St. Louisans should be proud of what St. Louis has when it comes to plant science. And it's a very strong case, we believe, uh, for a location for an institute like like the National Institute of Food and Agriculture. But does pulling out this history help with the sales pitch to get the National Institute of Food and Agriculture to move from D.C. to St. Louis today in 2018? I don't know. I I, I think um, I, I believe we can compete today. We can compete on on today's story. I don't think the history matters. I think it's I think it's great for for folks to know that there is no institute of food and agriculture without St. Louis and without Dr. Danforth and without the BioSTL committee that 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 made it a reality. Um, but we made it a reality to benefit our country, to benefit the world. And um, if we can now uh, bring it to St. Louis so that the economic benefits and the scientific synergies that could happen will benefit our community, then that would you know, be a fulfillment of the dream. Again, we're talking with Don Rubin of BioSTL on Nothing Impossible on KMOX about the possible move of the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, part of the USDA out of Washington, D.C., learning some fascinating information about how it was St. Louis that actually not only pitched the importance of creating this institute back in 2001, 2002. I mean, this was really born here, and now St. Louis is competing with Kansas City and others to try to land this institute as it moves out of D.C. One question for Don Rubin, what is the benefit of having an institute like this? It's not a company. It's, uh, it is going to have 700 highly paid jobs, though, but it's a government agency. So what is the benefit to the plant science community, the business community in St. Louis to have this institute locally based? This is what is, is called an extramural research program. So uh, that means that it is a grant-making organization. It has a lot of scientists, but they're evaluating the proposals of other scientists from all over the country and deciding to whom and to what labs and to what scientists to allocate the federal dollars uh, that are available for plant science research and to move those agricultural science projects forward. So proposals would come into St. Louis. They would be evaluated by teams. Teams from all over the country would be coming to St. Louis to be uh, 
to be scoring uh, applications. Uh, we would be a, a convening place. Uh, we would be a home for several hundred new scientists, but also a convening place for even more scientists from all over the country who would be coming here uh, and discussions and policies about plant science and those deci- that decision-making would be taking place in St. Louis, which would be a wonderful thing for our community. Michael, a great conversation. The fingers are crossed here in the studio that this actually comes to fruition for St. Louis. It ought mm-hmm. to be here. I feel like it ought to be here because we came up with the idea in the first place. <laughs> right. And we're better suited for it we because of all of the it. clustering of, I mean, more the scientists who were doing the research Absolutely. here are the ones who'd be going for the grants. Fingers crossed. We'll all see right. what happens. We'll follow it. Stick with KMOX News and we'll stick with Nothing Impossible too. more innovation conversation after this. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. Michael and Carol with you on Nothing Impossible, our conversation about local innovation. And when we talk about the future of St. Louis and new approaches to things. Sure. This week, just as a news reporter, crime has been on our plate a lot, whether it's the shooting downtown, the reaction to that uh, the, the near the Mark Twain Hotel it was a targeted argument shooting or whether it's the Grand Metrolink station. It's been in the news a lot. And downtown is, is an area that's trying to be built. People say that for the region to be strong, we've got to have a strong downtown. Mm-hmm. And Keith Alper, who owns several businesses in this building, actually, including CPG, Nitrous Effect, uh, Genie Cast and others. Uh, he says, has a whole floor. Yeah, yes. he's got and another building, I think, uh, somewhere else downtown. And he says uh, it might be time to leave because some of his employees are feeling a little. They're afraid. They're, yeah, they're, they're afraid. afraid. And uh, he came on with Charlie Brennan, came up the elevator, had a conversation. But beyond just the talking about the crime and the situation downtown, uh, there was some discussion about what can be done about the environment that maybe leads people to this path. And here's a little bit of their two-way exchange. The thing is, we got to start this, by the way, uh, disruptors are not popular people, but we can't just say, hey, it's always been this way. Because 10 years from now, Charlie, your kids won't be back in St. Louis. They're not going to come no, that, to St. That's, Louis. That's quite likely. And by the way, everybody's like, oh, we got to get people back to St. Louis. And there's other problems. Again, the, this is not just the police. This is not just the mayor. This is a city and civic issue. But if we lose downtown, you're going to lose the region. Okay. So I've been following a fellow by the name of John Pfaff, P-F-A-F-F. He's a professor of law at Fordham, and he's an expert on crime, and he's He's actually, he pleases both people who are conservative and liberal for the various things that he says. But he says that crime is inevitable when you get young men, forget women, they're not part of it, uh, for whatever reason, if they don't think that their prospects are good. And he says this could be Detroit, it could be St. Louis, or it could be early 19th century Russia. You get a group of men in a group, they don't think their prospects are good, they end up killing each other. They don't band together and take on the system. They kill each other. And he says this happens throughout the world. And maybe that's what the issue is here. A lot well, of guys who don't think their prospects are, they, yeah, they don't think what, they've we, got a future. This is where disruptors, we got a great opportunity. First of all, unemployment, I don't care if it's the president, whoever you said is, it's at the lowest, okay? You've got a lot of people. Uh, one of the things we keep on hearing about is we don't have enough tech jobs, okay? Let's fund and and send 10,000 people to launch code and turn them into coders and have make $75,000. This is all doable. It's happening in other cities. That's how you stop crime. You get well, people we, to we stop. We have launch code here. Yeah, but nobody's sending these guys. How do you go find people that need jobs and say, hey, it's not good to sell drugs or be in a gang? I don't have the answers. I'm just saying we need to get in a room and be disruptive. 
So I heard this interview, Michael, and you cannot blame any individual for being afraid. The the shooting that occurred, um, Alper's employees, one of them, I believe, at least one of them, maybe 50 feet away from the crime scene. And that is awfully scary. Very close to where we work. We, we have been close to crime in downtown St. Louis. So you can't blame anyone for being afraid. And when we talk about being disruptive and trying to really look at crime in a different way. I think that far too often, maybe people look at crime as an abstract. It's a thing that happens, but it is all about people. It is about people. And if we cannot address the conditions that people are in, then we're not going to change the people. We're trying to punish them, which punishment is a part of the criminal code. So you you have to go to jail if you do something wrong. But we have to, and people are doing this. I'm not reinventing the wheel. People are trying to do this. They are trying to address broken families. They are trying to address um, lack of education. But a difficult thing to address, Michael, is hope. How do you give people hope? Yeah. Coming up next, we're going to talk about DNA tests for students. That's up next on Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome back, and let's talk about the intersection of education and technology for just a moment. I'm sure you've heard about those DNA kits. You take a swab of your saliva, send it in, and they tell you all about your lineage. Ancestry is one of those, and the Jennings School District has launched a program over the summer where students are learning more about their ancestry. Carol talked about it with Jennings Superintendent Dr. Art McCoy. Well, we are making learning real, relevant, and fun. And so students have been given the opportunity to take uh, the DNA and samples to know where they come from, uh, to know who they are, and ultimately to um, study the history of locations and then ultimately to know where they're going in life. Uh, And so our students are literally global leaders and they're global learners. And so we started off by talking about the science of DNA and knowing how to go back to trace your ancestry. And then we, of course, have talked about the map of where, how people are all across the world and, uh, or from places all across the world. And so ultimately we're proving that by giving them DNA samples of their own lineage and telling them history about Ecuador and about Africa, various countries in Africa, and then as well as India. And so um, students will participate in community service projects throughout the year to raise money for parts of Africa like Kenya uh, and, and Nairobi, uh, in particular uh, in Kenya, but also in Cape Town for whales and water. And they're also helping with schools to learn and have books and materials. And uh, they'll learn about these countries and the conditions there, uh, safety, health, and otherwise. So, so not only are they learning about their own history, their own uh, genetical code or genetic code, but they're learning about the countries in which they come from. And it's truly exciting. Talk to me, um, just logistically, how, how, how many kits are we talking about and how are they being paid for? Great question. So uh, over the summer, we ordered 50 kits for our elementary school level students, and they did it as a part of their summer extended learning, uh, and we actually called it uh, Wakanda Camp. Uh, so being a school district of 98% African-American uh, and 1% Hispanic and 1% Caucasian, uh, you know, the, the, the movie Black Panther was an, a very big source of excitement for our students as well as it was for the country and the world. 
knowing that it hit records. So, so as a part of Wakanda Camp, uh, we did the DNA test to say, okay, let's see where you come from, from Africa in particular, for a great majority of our students, 98%. Uh, and so they learned about Egypt, and they did different arts and cultures and paintings and things related to Egypt, uh, and Cairo in particular, and the pyramids, and then also Kenya uh, and Somalia, as well as Cape Town. And so, but from there, we have moved to the high school. So we have uh, 50 kids, artists for the high school. And uh, in addition to the 50 that's already been done for elementary, and then we have 50 for the middle school. The kids have been uh, at a great price of about $59 per kid, but we have been generously blessed and supported by uh, by the David Stewart Foundation, the Stewart Family Foundation, uh, David Stewart, the uh, founder of Worldwide Technology. And he has uh, been gracious enough to, to cover the cost for uh, up to five students to literally even go to Africa uh, to go to a place of origin for community service learning and service projects, and so it's just it's just a tremendous way to make learning real, relevant, and have our students be global learners and global leaders. What kind of change are you seeing already in them, r- making this enormous connection to who they are beyond slaves? Definitely, uh, history is has come alive for so many students. They are just can't wait. They're excited to go to history class. You know, for history classes, for many of us, it was like, oh, so difficult to mem- all that memorization for things that didn't matter, or boring because it's like, oh, how does this relate to me? This is old, ancient, people that. But now they're able to see the connection. They're able to find the language that was lost. They're able to find the land that was unknown to them of which their ancestors came from. They're able to understand the struggle for liberty uh, that their ancestors had from the journey from various other countries to America. Jennings Superintendent Dr. Art McCoy talking about their Ancestry DNA program. Coming up next, we'll talk about Venture Cafe expanding to education, more innovation on the way in the classroom. That's up next on Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. Sharita Love is the Education Hub Manager, Tyler Matthews, the Executive Director of Venture Cafe, and they are here to tell me why Venture Cafe is so important. Well, Venture Cafe St. Louis plays a vital role in the innovation and entrepreneurship community by creating a spot where anyone that wants to be an entrepreneur or is an entrepreneur can come together and, in a very casual setting, kind of learn what it means to be an entrepreneur. And we have... You know, a really large community of, you know, nearly 500 or so people come every week. So there's a lot of learning opportunities. um, And, you know, we also host several sessions every Thursday as well, um, usually around like 10 to 14 different free educational talks, um, anything from, you know, marketing, IP, uh, how to raise venture capital, um, all the way to, you know, social entrepreneurship, nonprofit stuff. So it's really just a place where anyone can come and it's like the entry point into entrepreneurship. So. And and always doing something new. And the newest, which is why Sharita is here, yeah. mm-hmm. the, the newest is the Education Hub, and you are the Ed Hub Manager. I Sharita, what, what, is your, what is your background? Uh, my background is in education. Um, I've been in the classroom, um, done both formal and informal education uh, for quite some time. Uh, 
mainly working in the STEM space, working with educators on integrating STEM in the classroom, and then also in the equity space. So looking at how we can create a more equitable um, education system in St. Louis. And so to take all of that and bring it to Venture Cafe, uh, it's either a dream come true or, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into? Uh, It's a little bit of both. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bit of both. It's uh, uh, certainly meant to be because uh, that was not our original uh, journey when I first started to work with Venture Cafe. But um, it's something that was meant to be because uh, this is right up my alley. This is the work that I do and extremely excited about it. And what a better place than to to have this uh, come out of Venture Cafe where we have harvested that genius of bringing people together around new ideas and creating something different, innovating. um, And we can bring that into the education space. I love it that you use the word genius because when I think of of, and, and I see it on Facebook and people post uh, on social media I'm going I'm, I'm here yeah. I was there <laughs> it was great um, I, I see not just genius but a uh, 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 people coming together and feeling like I am not alone mm-hmm. I am getting answers yeah. and that's and that is the genius of it mm-hmm. but that is the heart of it yeah yeah and think about bringing that over into the education space right, right? so thinking about um, how um, not just in St. Louis but we're, we're talking specifically about the St. Louis region how um, education can be siloed like we can we're all doing our own things trying to affect change and so creating that central space for people to come together around new ideas in education uh, what are you doing? How can I improve on the work that I'm doing across all sectors of education is exciting. Um, and people are grabbing a hold to that. So we're, 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 we're excited about, you know, what's happening. Is it somewhat of a, a I hate to borrow this, this, this phrase missing link, but yeah. connecting educators and others in that space mm-hmm. to the innovation mm-hmm. community. One would think, oh my gosh, we've been talking about STEM for decades. Yeah. It's already happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no? Yeah, it is. It is. It is and, right? So there, there can be an and there. It is happening and, and there could be more. There also is still disparity, right? So a lot of schools, a lot of educators, education um, can use more. And so how do we leverage the collective uh, brilliance of folks who are working in this space, whether it be within the classroom, outside of the classroom, entrepreneurship and education, How do we leverage physical space and then both that intellectual capacity to do something bigger and better so students benefit most? Um, Describe for me, I know that the hub is you're collaborating with the strategy tank. What is it? Skip. Skip and V. Skip and V. Okay, so we'll talk about that in a second. But what is this? What does this? Well, he Tyler can talk about that. (laughs) What? will the education hub look like? Yeah, yeah. So uh, physical space is will be at Innovation Hall, which is uh, located in the Cortex Innovation Community, uh, 4220 Duncan. Um, so we'll, we, ha- we will occupy the first floor of that building. Um, Innovation Hall is a space and the Education Hub is the signature program within that space. Okay. Yes. Yes. So we'll allow we'll we'll have uh, donated space for educated related events that that's the space, you know, where people can come. And so, and I've said the word educators and so have you, but that's not the only... Oh, for sure. Right. For sure, sure. we're focused on. Well, yeah, not only focused on that. So um, there's programming pieces, of course, where we will offer some regular cadence of programming uh, where folks can come together around these ideas. We generally call them cafe nights, uh, but that'll come uh, within the, the coming months. Um, but then also uh, we offer space so that educators can come together. So if you wanted to host a professional development workshop, if you are an education entrepreneur and you're just trying this new thing out and you need space to do that, we can provide that. Um, um, 
conferences in education. If the Science Center is hosting this cool thing where they want to bring educators and thought and they always and they, are and they always right. are, and uh, we want to be that central place that brings folks together. So just to give an idea of, of what it physically will look like. And Tyler, talk to me about that collaboration. Yeah. The, the, and I love Strategy Tank, not Think Tank, but mm-hmm. Strategy Tank. Mm-hmm. That's that. I I get that difference. I yeah. see that. Yeah. yeah. No, I think those. Um, so Skip and V is a is a group that we had partnered with on on launching this. They're very focused on just improving mm-hmm. um, education and but just bringing new ideas on how to um, affect change in that in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not looking in this partnership that we have with them. We're not really looking to create new programs. Mm-hmm. We're looking to really be like Sharita was saying, a platform mm-hmm. for others to leverage and use and um, make it available for anyone in education to come mm-hmm. and learn from each other and um, also have space to be able to, to execute their ideas. Um, so that was really just a, a collaboration that fit uh, really well based on what they had seen with us um, on venture cafes, Thursday gatherings and the gatherings we do in 39 North. Um, and they thought, hey, you guys do so well bringing people together um, and creating a safe space for people to explore new ideas that let's see if this will work in education as well. You, I think you both probably know uh, that, and I know you for sure know, Sharita, that you mentioned the silos, mm-hmm. that, that in, in some arenas there's great resistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you two don't look like outsiders, but some in the education space may view you as outsiders, sure. and you don't know what we're going through Absolutely. over here, and we've got federal hanging over our heads, and Absolutely. state and, and tests, and so how do you navigate that? Um, because, yeah, and that, that's an amazing question, because I, I've been in there you know I, I was in the classroom like I totally get that who are you to tell me we're going to innovate education right so <laughs> I've been on the front lines for right, 10 right. years okay I'm sorry absolutely, it was almost absolutely. a negro spiritual there let me draw it back here okay bring it in bring it in uh but yeah so the way we we have done this and we'll continue to do that is to not say what we're doing for the community, but also do it for the with the community. Right. So we have listened to educators. We've listened to superintendents. Uh, we've listened to those who are in the informal ed space and we'll continue to do so. Um, even upon launching, we've hosted uh, these dinner and design meetings where we brought uh, leaders in, in classrooms, schools together just to just listen and figure out what the needs are. Like, you know, we have this idea, but actually what is it that the community needs? Um, and while it's not always easy to operate from that lens, uh, it's necessary because of what you said. You know, folks are skeptical and will continue to be so. But um, it's our, our duty, my duty. Um, and my obligation and what I will continue to do is to listen. So if we f- find out that, hey, what we thought would be this great thing that educators are g- going to come together and they'll be in Cortex and we're going to do all this wonderful stuff. Um, if we find that it doesn't work, we go back to the community and say, OK, well, this isn't working. What does it need to be for you? And if it's not that you'll come to the Cortex community, how does this live in community so that we can come and support and give those needs or, or provide the assistance that we need to and be who we need to be? Um, so, again, our students are the ones that need to benefit from this. So so what do we need to do? And um, so we listen. Tyler and Sharita, how do people get involved? I know they are, you're talking um, educational events, summer camps, yeah. grants. Yeah. H- how, how do people get involved? Yeah. Well, we're launching actually this uh, coming Thursday, August 30th. Uh, the Ed Hub STO will launch August 30th, 5 to 8 uh, at 4240 Duncan. Um, they can go to our website, which is innovationhallstl.org. 
um, and learn more about the Ed Hub, how they can get involved, um, get space, you know, whatever it needs to be for them. Um, yeah. And, and then for the event itself, for the launch of Ed Hub yep. STL, um, VentureCafeSTL.org. Yes. And there's um, an obvious link on the homepage to find out more about the event and Social the list media. of national speakers we got coming in, mm-hmm. different activities that bring in all sorts of organizations from around the region uh, to help build up um, an innovative and supportive education community. Mm-hmm. Let me just say that it's okay to look like an outsider because yeah. sometimes we need to look outside. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sharita Love is the Ed Hub Manager and Tyler Matthews, the Executive Director of Venture Cafe with us. Carol, you have been a huge help this week. Thank you so much for sitting in for Travis. Michael, always, and I'll be looking for my gift card. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to find out what Mike Claiborne gives the star of the game. Well, thank you for joining us for this edition of Nothing Impossible. We'll continue the innovation conversation next week on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.